Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. Welcome back, Joe. This is the Electrify News podcast. Hey, I always, I always got to personalize it to you, baby, because it's, it's just you and I in this little bubble that goes out to the world and all the millions listen to us, right? That's the point. <laughs> millions of what? <laughs> oh, dude, the millions that are on podcasts. Are you kidding me? Like these people that just – how is it – do you do this? Do you sit and listen to podcasts while you're doing other stuff? Like when you're sitting at work, do you absorb information that way? I know a lot of people that do uh, that. I, I don't know how they could do it. I can barely walk and listen to a podcast at the same time. Well, that's right. Like I like absorbing the information. I feel like I'm kind of half listening if I don't. It's kind of like you know being on your phone while you're watching a movie. You know, like all of a sudden the movie's over and you go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa what happened?" So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, wait, they killed him with pineapple juice. What are you talking about? Yeah, how, I didn't know pineapple juice could do that. Uh, well, but the point is, we're back. It's another week, and there's a lot of news happening. So I guess so. One of the things that I was looking at this week, based on you know, what was announced through the federal government, there's a lot of chatter going on around what the joint office announced related to uh, the NEVI funding for the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Funding and kind of what, and also just different details around what's going to happen for guidance around different uh, elements going on with EVs. And really what was, what came out of it in my, in my impression was, is the people that are running the office are doing a lot of listening, but they're not exactly like engaging with a lot of commentary that's happening within either the news or social media. But it's evident that they are hearing people's concerns. Um, one of the things that was really interesting to hear was that there's going to be a national charging experience consortium. And I thought, that's interesting because it really means that they're looking at it holistically. But I'm also like, what's going to happen there? You know, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they put this, you know, consortium together right because that, right. that's a big word for a lot of people you know especially if you went to public school but i, <laughs> I think that the ultimate thing is like that this is going to be a committee they're going to hear from a lot of stakeholders but at the end of the day it's not like this this group this consortium group has any kind of power they're just a, kind of an advisory slash lobbying role and it'll be yeah. curious to see who gets invited well who gets invited like, are you all- invited well, that's that's the thing is I, I plan on being there. <laughs> like, that's going to happen, right? <laughs> so, so to that extent, though, it, to your point, like you know, what comes out of this? There's so many organizations and groups doing this, but I think what what I got out of what their announcement looked like is that they are paying attention to a lot of the concerns that are happening from industry, from drivers, and uh, on top of that, even even in relation to what they announced. So they were saying, hey, the national database that exists today, the alternate fuels database is going to maintain being the primary source of information related to all this infrastructure, which is which is good. I mean, it's it, the comment that was actually made was don't reinvent the wheel. And I think that's smart. But there's a lot of updates that will need to be made alongside what those what these new rollout looks like. But then also I was there was information coming out of California and how they're positioning a variety of different ways that you know that they're framing what you know uptime is going to look like and how the infrastructure and the and the, the network providers can't just kind of arbitrarily throw out a number and say that oh yeah this is working fine california is going to have some some elements of what what uptime actually looks like that they are going to require and oftentimes as it goes in transportation so goes california so goes the nation so we have these we have a, we have at least federal you know efforts paying attention to it and if california steps up and really starts kind of putting their thumb down on on information coming from public charging infrastructure, I think we might finally see some better transparency. But I mean, that's the goal, obviously. 
That's the goal. And I think it's going to be critically important, right? Because now that more and more people are finally getting their hands on their EVs and they're, they're ha- they have to live with them as, you know, road trip vehicles, holiday vehicles, things like that. I think, you know, that was kind of the comment that you made a couple of weeks ago, which is like, okay, we did it. Now it has to work. We all right. bought the electric car and now it has to work. And this is going to be making it work. I think that that's absolutely critical. And frankly, if you're not in that consortium, I, I don't see how it could be valid because you, you can't have a bunch of engineers in there arguing over whether or not we call it level three when right. there's you know a five hour charge difference between a level three and a level three or a level three and a level seven. Right, exactly. And that's why it's important to have that conversation. I think there was one other piece that came out of the presentation that I, that other people noted was there was, you know, three three categories, three pieces that were really emphasized by Gabe Klein, who's running the joint office. And the first thing he pointed to was we have to simplify the ecosystem. And I thought yeah. that's okay. If if the if the person who's running the show recognizes the value of we have to hand this to everyday people, we've got a lot of different companies, a lot a lot of people working hard on this, but we have to be able to hand it off to the public in a way that they can say this actually is easy to understand and use and enjoy. That's to me, that was, I mean, I really was happy to see that. So, so a lot of good things came out of those conversations this week. And I think that, um, you know, the ball's rolling in the right direction. Now we'll just start to see exactly, you know, how far it goes. That's it. Now, does he have a LinkedIn? Cause we can lobby this guy. We can say like, Hey, you need to be talking to Matt over at Chargeway. Well, no, he's he's active on Twitter. He's he's liking and responding, not responding, but he's liking and engaging on content. Um, obviously, yeah, he is on LinkedIn. And my understanding is, again, he, he was taking it from the perspective of just doing a lot of observing and a lot of listening. And this announcement that came this week covered a lot of what people have been asking about, but there's still some, you know, still some open-ended elements such as, you know, the guidance is not fully done yet. Some of that's going to come out in a few weeks. So we're still going to see exactly what the, you know, the black and white elements are of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is something that obviously, you know, I have every intention of doing everything I can to, to get engaged and, and I, you know, want to make sure that we're part of it because it's going to be really important moving forward. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, it's funny. We we talk about getting these things right and not only getting them right, but getting them right the first time. And I'm going to jump ahead a little bit on our topic list. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Tesla discounted their model Y uh, dual motor model by $13,000. And then yesterday they bumped it back up 500 bucks. Right. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> I got a sure. sitting suspicion someone's doing back of the napkin math and they said, we should drop it to here. And then someone else stepped in and did like a larger like calculation and said, yeah, that was a little much. I mean, I mean, who knows, you know, but, but who this knows? is exactly what they did with the model Y even two years ago. It was just like every, you know, four weeks, it might go up 200 bucks. It might go up a thousand dollars, might go up 500 bucks. I mean, so this is very, uh, just, I mean, this is not surprising from Tesla at all. So. I think the difference is that a couple of years ago when they were when they were doing stuff like this, I think it was not part of the broader conversation. I think that the Tesla people were Tesla people. And now you really do have a broader cross section paying attention to the EV space. And especially while there are questions about, you know, whether or not uh, the guy running the business actually knows what he's doing. Uh Um, you know, I think I think it was different, right? Like a year ago, two years ago, the mystique was still there. And now we're all kind of like watching this Twitter trash fire happen in real time. We're looking at testimony about like these these 420 tweets and, you know, what does funding confirmed actually mean? And what right. does, uh, you know, wh- what do these terms mean? And what's legal and what's not legal? And there's kind of this sense that is 
maybe not accurate, maybe not true, but there's this sense among a lot of people that maybe these guys don't really know what they're doing and they might be brilliant engineers and have a really great sense of how the customer experience is supposed to work. But at the end of the day, like we've got engineers making marketing decisions and we've, we've got, you know, uh, apparently engineers making accounting decisions, right? Cause the, well, the, the implication would be that they messed up and they went too far. Well, of course, but I, well, this is just indicative of the wild west aspect of what the EV industry still feels like in a lot of ways. And Tesla was the front runner on, you know, going out to the West, you know, so they were doing yes. things all kinds of crazy. And I think it's just kind of built into their culture now that they, you know, they don't measure twice and cut once, cut once on things that they don't perceive as being all that important. They're like, it's the price. Who cares? We'll just change it or adjust it. And people will deal because they've been dealing. And so in the long run, that's not going to be able to be, you know, something they can do forever. Uh, because now that you get into the mainstream populace, I mean, there was another, uh, you know, comment today about, you know, a, a dealership that had, you know, it was a photograph of a Monroney sticker and what the upcharges were at this particular showroom. And it was like $40,000 for this, <laughs> this package. And part of the package was door cups. And I, I and saw I, that. I saw your comment, door cups. Yeah. I was like, door cups? Like for, for a part of a $40,000 up, like, you know, a, a, like package they added on. So, I mean, that's the thing of it is, is, is consumers always vote with their feet and they always look for what they feel is the most uh, honest experience. And, and yeah, Tesla's not the best at that when it comes to the pricing side of it. But, and, but sometimes they do honor it. If you place a, a reservation and they change the price they, and it goes down, they will actually honor your order with a new lower price. I mean, that has happened too. So, so it's, again, it's the Wild West in that respect. And I, and I think that, um, you know, Tesla's just the front runner on the, oh, did that not work? 24 hours later, we'll try something new. You know, I mean. Yeah, and good for them, honestly. You know, I, I saw a thing. There was a lot of people that came onto Twitter and various social media to complain about, you know, I just got my car four weeks ago, five weeks ago, oh, and yeah. now it's worth $20,000 less. You know, it's like. I understand that, but then Elon came back with it with a comment and, you know, I, I, I complained about Elon as much, if not more than the next guy, but I really liked his comment when he said, you know, when we raised the prices, you guys weren't running out to write us checks. So why would we <laughs> refund you? And he's absolutely right. Like, you know, the guys who bought a, a model Y at 45, they didn't stroke a check for nine G's to Tesla when the price went up. So like, why well, would that go both ways? This is the nature of commerce and business and, you know, com a yeah, this is capitalism. Yeah, this is capitalism. One yeah. one. So don't hate no, the I mean, player, hate the game. Yeah. I, I just, <laughs> it, at the end of the day though, consumers, if they feel like they've been slighted or if the public feels like they've been misled, they always have the, it's, it is their, I think it's, I think it's good when the public does rise up and say, look, this was not right. You know, and, and there've been plenty of decisions that have, I mean, it, it, but the pricing element, there's a lot of people that are like, look, I wanted to buy this car. I bought this car and I, you know, I'm happy I bought it. But yeah, I, I just got completely upside down by like nine grand or whatever. Yeah, that's not a good feeling. Um, and, no. there's, and, there's, and there's no fixing that, you know. So, um, yeah, we could go on and on for this in, one. I mean, yeah. In fairness, I mean, how many Mercedes buyers over the last 10 years have rolled off the lot and lost 20 G's of appreciate, depreciation? Well, I, I was about to say that. I was about to say, but in, in the past, it's just been that way. It's like you bought a brand new car, you drive off the lot, you can drive it. You know, it could be one of those dealerships that's in a dealer group that has like that gigantic, you know, roundabout between, you know, middle, in the middle of all of them. You could drive out, go around the roundabout once, come back, pull on the lot and say, I didn't like it. And they're going to say, cool, we'll buy it back from you for $20,000 less than what you just paid for it 10 minutes ago. You know, yeah, I, I think the difference is that these Tesla buyers really did believe they were sold on the idea 
you know, when, when Elon went up there and said, well, you know, your Tesla might be an appreciating asset. It's going to get well, better and better every year with the software. Updates. I think there's people who believe that. And no, I, I don't even blame Elon for that. People are dumb. Well, <laughs> well, well, and that's the people, people take things at face value. I mean, people have busy that's lives. Right. So if something feels new and fresh and they hear something new about it, they will say, well, if they're saying that and no one's telling me it's untrue, I have to take that at face value. And so there are a lot of people that leased, you know, Model 3s in the, in the beginning, paying for full self-driving, you know, in quotes, full self-driving. And they had the lease for three years and they were, they were told their car would be a robo-taxi making them money while they slept in a period of like 12 months. And then after oh, 36 yeah. months, they were like, wow, I got completely hosed on this. I never got any value of that additional money I paid to you. And I'm, tr- I'm trading the car back in. So this is where, you know, it's buyer beware, your caveat emptor. It's like, how do you help customers and the public know more? And, and this is this is the hard part. This isn't about education as much as it's about just paying attention because there's no educating against this. This is just sales tactics. This is just traditional capitalism. And can the yeah. FCC step in at some point? I mean, I think that's going to happen with regards to everything from California. Like we talked about in the previous podcast, like the, the FSD comment in California saying you can't say that anymore. That I think is going to come down even harder because a lot of people, to your point, just said, well, that's what it is. And they bought it. So um, and this is where I think the traditional automakers, they've just kind of been kind of hanging back a bit. And they've just been saying, we'll build the EVs, we'll make things that are electric, but we're not going to make all these overtures and, and, and crazy promises. The biggest promises we're seeing from traditional automakers is we're just finally making these damn cars. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like that's the, that's the promise they're making. So, and that, frankly, for average people, they're like, you know what? Hey, I saw that, that GM ad 47 times during Sunday night football, it apparently looks like they're making electric cars and trucks now, you know, <laughs> I mean, and it's like, yep, message received, you know, message received. I know that I can get an electric something Chevy. Yeah. It's, I can make a reservation for it. I can learn more about it. And then again, I think the, that's not, it still feels toe in the water ish because if you really sit back and look at the math and the numbers, you know, we're still at like five, 6% of national sales being electric. California is is near twenty percent for twenty twenty two, which yeah. is which was incredible. But outside of California, this is still a very fresh conversation. And you know, Tesla is you know they're still the front runner. There's people buying Teslas all over the country and all over the world now. I've, I've got friends that are buying them now that wouldn't have looked at them a couple of years ago. But these are average people who are now just saying like, I've heard about it long enough. It seems like it works. The prices came down. We were in the market for a new car. The timing is just better. Um, but those people still need to understand how it works in their lives too. And and I keep telling people, yeah, just do some more reading around autonomy. <laughs> this is this is cruise control plus. Like that's all this really yeah. is. Yeah. Well and now, you know, the latest consumer reports or whatever it is has them at number seven for like the yeah. the number seventh ranked vehicle. I think the in terms Ford's of number uh, one now, I think from consumer reports' perspective, right? Ford, yeah, the Ford yeah. uh what is it, blue cruise blue and then super blue cruise is number two. And if you look at if you look at how those two brands positioned that technology, they didn't call it something that was an overpromise and underdeliver. It's Super Cruise, it's Blue Cruise. It is just it is this element of it's it's a step up from what you've known from cruise control, and that really is how it should be positioned. And that's the that's what will keep people safe, and that's what will keep people attentive uh, when they're in the vehicle. And so that's a good thing. But you know, Tesla. It's funny because they. A good example too is like they're still growing. Like they're huge investment in Nevada. They're going to be expanding oh, yeah. the heck out of their factory. We're looking at semi production, the forty, the four six eighty cell, 
and and the 4680 cell is now going to be rolled into stationary stationary storage for them as well. So you know, power walls and and home energy. So they're still moving full speed ahead. <laughs> you know, it's oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's just a question of their as they mature as a company, they're going to start to you know, I they're going to learn the lesson one way or another. They can't necessarily play fast and loose with the mainstream audience the way they were with you know, what I would call the early adopter slash techie audience. Well, it was, it was the people that were, these were the early adopters of Tesla were people that were hungry to see EVs succeed. And many of them became, you know, I mean, they, they, they often call it a cult. And, and there are some moments when you look at this and you think, yeah, these are some very passionate people about this brand and product and these products that are maybe not being a hundred percent objective, <laughs> you know, so that, and that, but again, as, as a business and as a company, you want to cultivate that. And if you can get that behind you, that type of, you know, I hate to say mob mentality, but that type of, you know, ardent support can do a lot for you when it gets, when it talk when it gets to exposure and people talking about it. I mean, the world of communications and PR and marketing and advertising has changed dramatically in the last, you know, 20 years, but especially the last five to 10 and if you have people that are willing to do that marketing for you because they're just so in love with your product, I mean, yeah, Tesla's proven you can leverage that to no end. And so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, when we were kids, you and I growing up, we would see guys with Ford and Chevy t-shirts and Earnhardt yeah. and everything else, you know, and I, it just seems to be the continuation of that. The question is who's on the other side of Tesla on the automotive side. It's kind of hard to say on the truck side. I think we can easily point to like, lucid and say like or not lucid um you know nicola and say like well that's on the semi side of it that's the ford versus chevy right because that's another company that i think people were very quick to dismiss early on um you know especially around the hype of the tesla semi and with you know trevor getting into the trouble that he got into rolling a truck downhill but they delivered 50 trucks in 2022 they're on track for a couple hundred this year they just got a big order for a hundred new trucks in europe I mean, they're, they're making product and they're putting it on the road. So that's, that's impressive. You got a hats off to them, you know? Oh, no, this is where there's so much speculation every day around which companies are going to make it, which ones won't in the electrification discussion that are new. Right. So, I mean, go down the list. Nikola was one of them that I think everybody had on their, like just, they they were death's door and they're still making it work. And what they're, they got focused. I mean, that was another conversation I had recently with some colleagues is was around, you know, what's, What's causing the issues here with some of these startups? Are they just are they blurring the lines too much, and are they losing focus? And I think part of the you know the hype element that came along with Trevor with Nicola was it was so distracting, and it and they weren't really focused. Now they have a business that's being operated with no drama from what it looks like on the outside, and they're just getting work done and they're delivering on product. And I think that's part of the you know they, Trevor and other and other startups, not other stuff, but Trevor Milton was I think the best example of trying to get that same noise that Elon does. The, the, the difference, I think, what we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years is Elon didn't start out being so like just, you know, lightning rodish. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to be so dramatic all the time. He was just making basic claims. If you go back and watch videos, it's like he was running for, for elected office because he, had, he yeah. just said the same thing in every interview. And it seems so simple. But it, but he just ran with it, and then they had a team that was behind him building that. And when I reference what he was talking about, he, I'm not just referring to autonomy. The basics of what Tesla was going to build when he put up his Tesla, you know, his Tesla secret plan on their blog and said, "This is what we're going to do," and they did that. Aside from the Model X being a little bit of a distraction, but they did that, and that got him and the company to where it's at. And now he's turned a corner where it's overly dramatic and it's distracting. 
And I think he will inevitably face the same types of you know, issues that Trevor Milton and other face from a legal perspective, because yeah, there's going to have to be some accountability. So again, all the, all the legacy automakers, they're all sitting back watching this going, okay, have your fun. Like we're just going to build the cars. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. We're going to be, you know, but it's funny. I bet if you went back, you know, maybe not a hundred years, but let's go back to like the 1940s when Ford was trying to build his like utopia in the Brazilian jungle. Like they had their weird moments and there was Howard Hughes in there saying his ridiculous stuff. And then they kind of like, okay, we got the iconoclasts out. We got the adults in the room and, you know, we got some accountants in here making some good decisions. Um, I will say this, Jennifer Sensaba, one of the writers at clean technica that I follow. And I, I, I really like her stuff. She cracks mm-hmm. me up. Um, she made a good comment that, uh, you know, nobody ever claps when the bean counters win an argument. And when it comes to car design, <laughs> like, That's and then, and book. then the caveat, Oh, it's so good. And then the caveat was except at Tesla, because then it's not counting corners. It's brilliant manufacturing streamlining. <laughs> Oh man. Well, that's, that's the cult mentality, right? Of just look at right, right. look, look at this gambit. <laughs> like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, like yeah, why can't no. other car companies just make a smooth front fascia? It's like, well, because well, they invest in multiple pieces. <laughs> there, yeah. There's, yeah, there's that there's, well, it's interesting you even bring that up too. Cause it makes me think of the announcement for what's happened with Polestar two is the reskinning of what we're going to see. You know, just that you said front fascia, that smoothing of it. I thought, Oh, yeah, well, yeah, that's a smooth front fascia because they took the grill out of it. Well, but that's the thing is it took – and it's so funny too because even Tesla did that with Model with Model S is they had that like yes. faux grill forever to make it look like a car in quotes. And then they finally were like, let's just ditch this. It's just it's there to just aesthetically make people feel comfortable. But now we're seeing that legacy auto brands were kind of going the same direction with does it need to have a grill on it? Like the Bolt when it first came out, it's like that's got a grill on it. Does it need that? Polestar similarly, and now this this reskinning they have for 2024, they're going into their design language they've been showing for some of their concepts, and I think it looks really classy. It's a it's a departure from what we've known, but you can also, as they're seeing it, yeah, we're not sucking in air, we're not sucking in what's coming at the car anymore. Now we can use this for sensors and data and information and and aerodynamics, and that's like, yeah, that's a smart way to go about explaining it and leveraging it for the right way. Yeah, you know, as you're talking about that car, that's the Polestar too. That's a really neat piece of automotive history that's rolling around right now because they reskinned it. So it looks very, very similar. The grill is a little different. The wheels a little different. The side Mm -hmm. mirrors have a little tweak to them to be more aero, but under the skin, it's a completely different vehicle. Yep. Yeah. No, that's from a front wheel drive to a rear wheel drive as the base model. They have new batteries and motors that are in different locations. I mean, when was the last time you saw a car get redesigned and and have a major redesign of the of the mechanicals and still stay me- visually pretty much identical. Well, that's the but well, that's the beauty of EVs though, right? Is the is is the outside of it is something that you can you can have as much fun with as you want, but underneath there's so many things where the technology will advance as it relates to software, battery cell t- design and technology, what can happen with fast charging, what can happen with UI UX of interface inside the car if you're if you're leveraging screens for example. I mean, it's, it's the sky's the limit there. And frankly, if you package it the right way, and I think this is what Polestar just proved, is they have the right packaging design for Polestar 2, and they just simply said, okay, we're going to reimagine the stuff that's under the skin in a way that's going to make this really a kind of a leap forward. And to your point, it's not something we often saw. I mean, if you look at you know gas-powered cars, I guess the best equivalent would be, well, we just went from a, a V8 that was heavy to a twin-turbo V6 that is lighter but puts out more horsepower and torque. 
it's and aesthetically you don't see a difference, but under the, under the hood it's different. It's like same kind of a concept, but I think what EVs prove is that with the technology you can leverage in EVs, it's much more dynamic for how you can transform the experience of how the car functions. So yeah, it, absolutely right. And it, and it kind of brings to bear, you know, again, we talked early on in the EV conversation about the skateboard design and how you could drop anybody you wanted on it. Yeah. And I mean, one of our early, early episodes, we were talking about Polestar doing their, their crash safety and how they built everything around this backbone chassis mm. and that unibody and crash testing the unibody and all that stuff. That's where the real R&D expense is. And it seems like they can swap out motors and software and things like that much more easily and still keep the car relatively certified if they keep the same chassis, which I think is just like conceptually that's wild. If you look at Tesla's Model S, I wonder how similar the 2024s are mechanically to the 2012 models. And I bet not that much. I would imagine no. That I'm sure has they've made iterations and changes uh, over the years that no doubt have impacted the. Well, I mean, all you have to do is look at the original Model S and then look at a Model S Plaid, and you kind of go, "What's oh, improved?" Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, they've done, they've yeah done that's it, a fair point. Yeah. So I yeah, think because it was what a 65 kilowatt hour battery at one point. The oh, there was a six a forty. There was a forty kilowatt hour Model S offered at one point. It was I think wow. it was on. I think it was available for like 10 minutes, but it was, you know, it had, I mean, the range was abysmal. People wanted long range. And so they didn't offer it for that long. Uh, they, they brought the 60, the 60 kilowatt hour back a few, a few times or once or twice. And, and cause it was just a good way to get people in the door that wanted to pay maybe 65,000 for a model S at the time, but it was bare bones. Um, but I, to your point though, I, if you really compare those things is, is that that's kind of what Tesla has been doing for the last decade. And now these other automakers that are really planning the product out in the same way are going to be able to leverage it in the same fashion. And then you have to think about things like the MEB platform um, that has been developed in a similar approach. You think Ultium, how GM has presented it, that's the vision they have about how there's interchangeable elements to how they can stack the batteries and different motors that can align with them for different use cases. So on paper, that's really where things look to be going. I think the Polestar 2 uh, refresh is just one of the first examples we've seen of that being put to work. Um, I'll be excited to see, I mean, the vehicle's not going to be available for the 12 months, but it'll be great to see what it looks like uh, and what it drives like. So, Yeah, I think it's going to be neat. And I think by making it rear drive, they've really kind of underscored that they're going after that BMW buyer. They're going after that yeah. Mercedes AMG buyer. They're going after the, you know, the Model 3 rear wheel yeah. drive buyer. I was going to say, they're going after the Model 3 performance yeah. experience. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Uh, and they're playing in that field. And I think that the, the departure from front drive, um, even though mechanically, I think ninety percent of people wouldn't feel the difference. I think it's uh, it, it's a statement of intent, and I think that's uh, it's worth making. Well, front wheel or rear wheel. If, I mean, any driver, I mean, anybody who's driven both, and people that drive a lot will know that. Oh, that's a big difference between performance sure. and 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 not performance, and how you can then even take advantage of the the performance capabilities of a car. Um, so I think what they're again, like what we're talking about, is is this element of iteration and how it can create opportunity for iteration. What will be interesting to see is even what Polestar just did is they, they took advantage of the design they had, got rid of the grill to do more of a smart grill with the, with the, you know, the details they are building in the front of the car. I think that it's kind of interesting because you, if you really look at Tesla, for example, the model S by sake of a body design and a vehicle itself is now a decade old. When was the, I mean, it's had a refresh ish. It's oh, like new bumpers. 2009 skin. was the first time we saw that, that car. So it's 14 years old. It's gonna no, yeah. Well, I mean, in market, like actually being sold yeah, on the road. Sure, yeah. sure. So it's like, but how? Like, has that 
Has that ever been the case? And that's the thing is, is traditional automakers have said, well, you know, we've got really good motor technology, engine technology. And, you know, what's just the thing that sells people is the aesthetic is when you're just stoplight and they go, man, like that's the new whatever it is. And that's how legacy auto brands have thought of iterations and model changes over the years. And is that going to change? Is there going to be more of a hyper focus on technology and battery and that the actual design language of the car doesn't need to get reworked every three to four, four or five years. I, I mean, Tesla's just proved that they don't really have to think about that. I think they're going to have to at some point, you know, but it's, it's really kind of astonishing that that's how it's played out. You're, you're absolutely right. And, I, and I, I think back to like the cars, the car companies that do have really long product cycles, like, you know, Volvo has a 12 year product cycle or a 10 year product cycle on some of their uh, top end models, like the BMW seven series, I think has, you know, a four year refresh and then an eight year product cycle, you know, to see iterations along those lines, I think will be easier for those buyers to accept than like, you know, uh, let's say the Honda civic or the Chevy Cavalier crowd that were expecting a new car every four years. Right. Right. Well, and that's, and the, the reskin, this, I think what's always been so difficult for legacy auto brands, especially, well, any auto, not legacy, just any auto brand, is when you take a vehicle and you you have your what you've had for a long time and you decide to reskin it somehow, right? And there have yeah. been epic, in my opinion, epic failures over the years for ta- saying, okay, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep the fender, but we're redoing the bumper, the hood, and the headlights. And then you see the new flavor of what they've done, and you just go, wow, that didn't work out that well. You can tell it looks like they just reimagined like one eighth of the car, and it doesn't yeah. it doesn't work, you know. But that's that's what they could do. But Toyota's really good at that though. Like they did their, yeah. their eight, uh, six was really good. 2015. Yeah. They did oh. a reskin of the Camry. That was really good. Like, I think the new eight, six, to be perfectly honest in its current form, I think it's more attractive than the original, uh, when it was, oh, I agree. and we have and BRZ. I think they did a really good job of that. If that, that was an electric sports car, it'd be in my garage right now. Like that thing is ball. Oh, I going. have good news for you because yeah. someone makes an electric version of those. Well, let's 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 not get ahead of my wallet here. I mean, I, I was being dramatic, <laughs> you know. But, it, well, it, but it's, it's worth bringing up. I mean, it was on yeah. Electrify News. It's called Scalar. They're yep. doing a GR86 converted with that uh, that similar to like the Lexus RZ450 motor. So mm-hmm. I mean, it runs. It does the thing. And um, well, let, let's say something nice about Scalar. Those guys do good work. Oh no, I think it's gonna be cool to see. And what and that's the type of thing is it, that speaks to where the tuner market is going and aftermarket is going and how people are gonna start really taking, you know, vehicle components that are electric and kind of Frankenstein monstering these things together to see how they can do it. Now, the people that can do it as a kit and really make it something where it's, I mean, even GM time, I do like a drop in electric motor with battery packs on, on older vehicles. I think that's, and they've shown it at SEMA. Like that's going to be yeah. awesome. Um, and, and again, it, it really just tells me that we're so early in how all of this is going to play out on what people are going to be attracted to or not. There's always going to be enthusiasts that want to tinker. But as to how this then works for, you know, <laughs> the average person, they still are going to want it to be like, well, this is still simple, right? Like I can just get it. It's still it simple. This like, works fine. This works fine. Well, yeah. the good news is we're going to get to see how all that plays out uh, across seven venues this year at Electrify Expo because yeah. we're going to have Electrify Show Off, which is going to be a aftermarket SEMA Super Street you know, hot import nights kind of uh, amalgam of insanity. Uh, but it's going to be all electric. And I think we're it's going to be all the same people too. <laughs> I was going to say, we're getting the club back together. It's like anybody that's known me in the automotive aftermarket for how my career started. It's funny. Cause it was, it was literally like a, a reunion when we all started like popping into the same 
the same circle of a conversation in Austin last year. And it was just, oh man, here you are, you know? And yeah, it's great. Exactly. It's great though, because the, the, what it speaks to too is this, is there are very, very passionate people that have been around automotive for a long time that are now getting engaged in the electrified conversation. And it, and, and this is the fun part is, you know, I, I was one of the people that probably got into it earlier than others from that, from that space. But I'm excited to see those, the brain trust of the people that were so successful with the automotive aftermarket and enthusiast branding around automotive get involved with electrification because there's so many touch points for electrification. It is yes. micro, it is motorcycle, it is, it is car, it is truck. It's so many things. So yeah, I'm stoked. It's gonna be great. I, I, so I have this, um, this dual motor, dual thousand watt motor stand up e-scooter now that I have recently received. I'm sorry, um, dual thousand watt. Okay. So it's, so it's, so it's a stand up scooter, a thousand watt motor in each of the wheels. wheels. (laughs) And I am kind of excited because Blake Fuller is going to bring his Pikes Peak um, Model S back to uh, Long Beach. I'm going to race him in the eighth. I was about to say, like, you're going to race him? And I think I got a shot. I certainly not in the quarter, but I mean, it'll go 40. Well, I will, I will say this much. No, I will say this much. The scooter has a shot. You personally having a shot of staying on that thing and completing the task of beating him in that race. Is a no, no, no. I'm getting real good. I'm getting real okay. good on it. I've gone through a couple of helmets already, but I'm, I'm getting good. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, this, like, well, you need to get people like, like called Travis Pastrana or somebody to, like, to stand in as your double just so you don't break yourself in half. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Those guys have something to live for. They're, they'll never do it. <laughs> uh, that's fair. That's probably not the way that he wants to say, like, yeah, I'm going to not be racing for a while because I did this scooter incident. <laughs> I ate it on a scooter. Well, yeah. uh, again, definitely uh, check us out across seven cities this year. We're going to be in Long Beach in May, San Francisco, Seattle, Miami, New York, and Austin, Texas, probably in that order. Uh, we're going to be at Industry Day in Long Beach as well. If you're in the industry, you want to catch up on uh, what the latest and greatest is, go to that. Follow along on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever good podcasts are sold. Obviously, Matt Teske, download Chargeway. If you are in any way driving an electric vehicle, it'll make your life a lot easier. And uh, tell us about that consortium along the way. Thanks for listening to the Electrify Podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV. And follow along on social media for daily clips and more.